Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who was picked 73rd overall in the 2003 NHL entry draft by the Pittsburgh Penguins. He would go on to play more than 400 games in the NHL over nine years, playing for the Coyotes, Flyers, Blackhawks, Kings, and Rangers. He is a two-time Stanley Cup champ. He's founder of a nonprofit organization that assists former NHL players who are suffering from post-concussion syndrome and mental health issues. I was lucky enough to cover his time with the Rangers as well as spend some time with him back in 2012 in Atlantic City for Operation Hat Trick during the lockout. He's one of the nicest guys off the ice you'll ever meet. It's a pleasure to welcome the man whose on-ice reputation gained him the nickname Car Bomb, the one and only Dan Carcillo to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Dan. How are you guys? We're doing really, really good. And, you know, it's interesting because over the course of 11 years that AJ and I have been doing this show, we've spoken to so many pro athletes, and we like to go back to their early days in the sport and talk about their climb. So many of those guys look back at their beginnings and their first coaches, um, you know, and even though it, with, with like really fond feelings. Now, even though you were excelling on the ice with the Sar- um, Sarnia Sting, you don't really have such fond memories of those first couple of years under Coach Jeff Perry. This past November, you went public with tweets about hazing and abuse that took place when you played. Aside from helping you personally cope with it, you were going public to try and reshape the hockey culture. So first off, for guys like myself and others who cover the game but never played junior and were never embedded in the quote-unquote hockey culture, can you tell our audience a little bit what you mean about hockey culture? Um, I think one of the biggest things uh, when I was growing up, playing whatever is said in the room stays in the room type of deal. And uh, there's a lot of, well, in my experience, just you know, the year and a half in Sarnia under Jeff and under certain uh, veteran players that um, you come to learn he did he'd broken those young men long before I'd gotten there and um, it was just a, it was a rough year but it also you know um, through the pain through the suffering you learn a lot about yourself what you can take and uh, what you will take to achieve a dream and um, it was a stepping stone into um, you know a lot of really really good coaches you know that I've had I've had way more you know influential coaches than I've had um, bad experiences so um, that's just one instance and the St. Mike story just kind of triggered it it wasn't planned and hadn't really thought about it for 14 years and so um, I think when you talk about things honestly and vulnerably then you know you connect a lot more with people and um, hopefully somebody else is, you know can come out and find the strength to tell their story because um, you know an untold story harbors a lot of guilt and and angst and um to get it out somehow is uh, is a relief for people, and it was a relief for me. So, you know, one of the things you talked about is, is hazing, and hazing is a huge issue. The word hazing itself is complicated because hazing is seen in many different types of social groups: gangs, sports teams, schools, military units, fraternities, sororities. Initiation rites range from relatively benign pranks like rookies wearing pajamas. Or male, you know, in baseball we see like the rookies having to wear dresses through airports, but then they also rise to the level of criminal abuse and criminal misconduct. Um, you know, I go back to the day where you know I remember Ron Duguay's long hair as a rookie being shaved off. 
where do we draw the line and, and how do we make sure that those lines are never crossed when we're dealing with, with young players at the junior level or, or even you know, in high school teams? Um, I think the number one rule is just keep your hands off and don't violate somebody's human rights. It's pretty basic. You know, um, you don't have to humiliate somebody to endear them to a team. So um, I think we see a lot now in today's climate where everything's recorded and everything's tracked and it's easily accessible. People know a lot more and they just won't stand for it, you know. Um, so just, uh, you know, if you, don't, if you don't want it done to yourself, then don't do it to someone else. And I'm not a god. You know, I wasn't, um, I was verbally abusive to people in, in the past and, like I said, you, you live and you live and you learn, you know, and, um, um, you know, you just try to move forward and, and tell your story honestly and, and from the point of view of um, hopefully at helping somebody else who's in that situation, they can, you know, speak up, stand up for themselves or, or tell somebody, um, you know, you're not a rat if you're, if you're being violated. And, uh, and yeah, you know, it, it's, it's different, you know. You can you can endear yourself to, to a team by just doing little things, by showing respect, and you know, getting off the bus last, and and little things like that go a long way. You know, not talking back to veterans. Um, you don't need to uh, to endure physical and and sexual abuse to you know, to um, to become a team. You know. You know. You make a point in a blog you have on the website for your foundation. We talk about hockey being different, where kids basically leave their families at very early ages to play junior hockey. And you talk, I'll read these what's said for our audience to hear. What I do realize now is that I missed out on those crucial years of self-assessment into what makes me tick and brings me joy away from the game. I was caught up. I was hooked on the sport. The emotional release was too intoxicating to be bothered by doing research into myself by pursuing other interests. That kind of focus and drive served me realizing my dream that is most definitely a detriment to me when it came to my transition and fully understanding who I am. So looking here it is now in 2019. First of all, do you think have things changed a bit? Well, what can a kid who wants to be a hockey player, an NHL player, think about should they do or not do in terms of going away, juniors, leaving the family, leaving friends at such an early age? <clears throat> I mean, you're going to do what you're going to do, like where your path kind of takes you, you know, and my path took me to Milton and then, you know, um, Simone Gagne's dad, Eric Gagne, was the coach, and they, I happened to be drafted to Sarnia, and that was Dino Cicerelli's team, and so they were friends and um, ended up doing some school visits and then, you know, ultimately picking Sarnia. And, um, you know, although that – I talk about that instance with, you know, those, the year and a half there, there were a lot of good times too. You know, it wasn't all bad times. And, um, like I said, you learn a lot through – through pain, through suffering, and and, and it's um, you know the, even though it was a bad experience, I think it definitely helped you know mold me into somebody that I am, and I, I'm, I don't regret it, um, and I'm glad I went through it. And then you know at a certain age, you just you learn about yourself. You know, you learn what you can handle, you learn what you can take, and I think it's really important for young kids to um, know who they are. You know, know who you are away from the rink, know who you are away from hockey, um, hockey success, and um, you know, I was always a guy who liked to play music in the room and go to nice restaurants with whatever city I was lucky enough to play in. I played in some great cities, and I would take it in, you know. And so I implore guys to just enjoy life, too. You know, hockey isn't, uh, it isn't everything. You know, it's interesting because anyone who's listened to this show over the years or followed me on social media knows how much I love the game of hockey. 
But you know, the more you know, I, I've read uh, what you've put out there and other players, the more I realize that I'm also at fault for advancing the quote unquote hockey culture. You know, and, and even today in the press box, you know, Kevin Chattenkirk Kirk took a, a puck to the face, he got cut up badly, went in, got stitched out, up, and came back out. And and that's what we expect of hockey players, but. You know, we cover baseball, and we'll be sitting there, and if a pitcher, its pitch count is up to 110, we're like saying, why is this, you know, manager abusing this pitcher? Why is he not taking him out? So, Dan, why don't you think, you know, baseball seems to treat, management seems to treat their players as assets, where I don't know if hockey and, and, and look at does the, middle the ground, same. Look at the middle ground that football has started to take now. They were closer to hockey. Now they're moving closer to baseball in terms of going to the tent in the middle, having the doctors there, and, and they're treating and, their players well, more like baseball. Well, hockey has the protocol hockey. as well. But then, why do you think that? Why do you why do you think we attribute you know warrior gamer the the, the fans in the media? Um, that's just what hockey was built on. You know, a lot of its popularity is built on selling uh, violence, hate, and rivalries. You know, and now I think you're you're seeing a shift in, you know, people are now, they don't really care about rivalries. You know, they just care about watching superstars and young kids, exciting teams, you know. Um, and that's, you know, that's all in the emails and the NHL concussion lawsuit settlement. Um, you know, all those 297 emails are right there. And they say that. They actively say that. And, um, you know, I think you just need to be aware. You need to properly understand the risk that you're, that you're um, partaking in playing that sport and doing that job with re- in, in respect to repetitive head trauma. You know, I know the lawsuit says, you know, that they can't find a link or prove a link between repetitive head trauma and CTE because of causation, and that's, that's true. But what we do know is repetitive head trauma and brain injuries um, lead to brain damage, which lead to neurodegenerative uh, progressive uh, diseases of the brain. So, um you know, we could take a stance in, in saying that, yeah, going into the tent for 10 minutes is, is, you know, better than nothing. Yes, it's better than nothing, but it's also not enough. You know, I know it takes an hour, minimum an hour, to fully assess somebody for a concussion. You know, an impact test only checks one of those systems. You have to check four others. So we have a long way to go, you know, and um, the NHL does too, but, uh, you know, they're enthralled in some pretty – some pretty big litigation, and they will be for the next, you know, foreseeable future. So um, I don't expect too many big changes. And I, I have friends who are still in the league, and they show, like, you know, what signs and symptoms look like, but they're not telling them that, you know, uh, you're 80% more susceptible to early-onset dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinsonism, um, with three or more traumatic brain injuries. You know, they're not saying stuff like that, so... Um, you know, we have a long way to go, for sure. Yeah, so education is a key. But, you know, again, you know, we perpetuate that culture a- as media and fans. But we're not the only ones because, you know, you're obviously covering your 2014 team, you know, when uh, a certain um, round was getting a little physical, you know, Elaine Vigneault was asked a question. He goes, well, we'll have to put on our big boy pants. You also played for, for Daryl Sutter who, uh, 
is not so subtle. I mean, he just comes right out and tells guys that are injured to get out of your locker room. And if you guys didn't play a game well, there's stories that he told the the flight crew not to even feed you guys. So, you know, how how does that go on? And without someone saying something, someone in the room saying, "Listen, this is this is just crazy." Well, I mean, it's. Daryl Sutter, you know, what do you, <laughs> what's anybody going to say to him? They're going to lose their job, you know, and then but should, we should have said something, you know, but it's, um, again, it goes back to being abuse of power, which, which is pretty common within hockey culture. It's an old boys club that runs it right now. So, um, you know, I think there's a shift coming because a lot of, a lot of people are not tolerating it anymore, right? With parents hearing a coach yelling, somebody's kid in the stands they're not tolerating it and any, they're not they're just not tolerating it you know and they're recording it and they're putting it on social media and um it's not right what once was you know you know not taboo it's taboo now you know so you can teach a kid without yelling at him you know it's they're teaching moments they're not yelling yelling moments if he turns the puck over you know it used to be um it used to be hockey development you know i don't how much should be developmental hockey, you know, like you're developing young kids. You're not, not the reality is the percentage of, of kids who are going to make a paycheck of playing the sport is 0.001%, wow. you know? So, um, it should, it should change a little bit, you know, I believe that. So hopefully it does. How has this, or how will this change the way the game is played on the ice in terms of different, you know, obviously nobody says, hazing is out wrong, nobody should haze, nobody should have to take the type of hazing that you described, which is pretty awful. But in terms of, oh, this is hockey or whatever the excuse is, how will the fans see a change in the game if all this comes about and people are treated the way they're supposed to be treated, if at all? No, I don't think there's going to be a change in the game. You know, I think there's ways to make the game safer and, and ways to implement better, you know, functional baselines and possibly, you know, go to accelerometers in, in guys' ears, like IndyCar Series does, you know, and they're linked to the functional baselines and they're all on the computer screen, and you have that in the trainer's room, someone monitoring it, and if um, if a guy gets hit hard enough, enough Gs, then it, it tells the computer that, you know, to pull them or to check them at the very least. You know, there's, there's things that they can do that can make the rinks bigger. The rinks have never been made bigger, just, I'm not saying Olympic size, but a lot of these hits are accidental nowadays, and guys are moving really quickly, and equipment's lighter, and guys are faster. They're tracking their nutrition and uh, workouts and how much power they have uh, each squat. So it's, it's getting pretty advanced, you know. So the sport needs to, I think, start adapting with it, you know. And I just try to advocate for just give these guys a proper understanding, diagnosis, and care. And then if you sign them in dotted line, then go ahead and play, you know. That's that would be, you know, where I think it'd be acceptable, you know, and um, but it's scary, right? So they don't want they don't want parents to have the proper understanding because, man, you know, you're going to have to really choose if you if you want to, you know, make your kids susceptible to to those possible um, possible things, you know, that could happen from repetitive head trauma. We're talking with Dan Carcello along those lines. I just wanted to read this. Two horizontal tears in each of both ankles. Arthritis in both ankles. No PCL in right knee. MCL rehabilitated six times on right knee. 
Uh, ACL reconstructive surgery on left knee. MCL done three times on left knee. Arthritis in both knees. Labrum hip surgery on left side. Abdomen stapled back pelvis on left side. No labrum in left shoulder. Three inches of arthritis in three of the discs in neck. Seven concussions diagnosed and confirmed. Many tears in the neck. Broken nose. Lost three teeth. Now, that's not one team's medical report. That's your medical makeup. So I've got so many questions here. I really don't even know where to start. But, but let me try. You just mentioned, you know, about how the game is getting much faster and, and quicker, and a lot of these hits are accidental. Last, this past summer, I had a, a really long lunch with Adam Oates, and he told me that coaches don't teach the game the proper way. He said so many of today's injuries can be prevented if players were taught the proper technique. He said there's an art from protecting yourself when you go into the corner. He said he watches today's game and can give me a, a list of players that are endangering themselves night in and night out by the way they position themselves, the way they skate with their heads down, the way they're not paying attention to things going on in the ice. Do you believe that a lot of these you know, that that can be taught, that you can position yourself not giving yourself prone. And do you think that any of those injuries that we listed that you had, do you think any of those could have been prevented? No, it's just wear and tear. It's not really from an, an instance except for the ACL that was a hit and, and the PCL, which just was an awkward um, accident. But, um, I mean, my, I, my belief is uh, vision training. You know, increase in the peripheral awareness and being able to inherently see more and, and then protect yourself from more. You know, that's the only thing that really makes sense to me. And um, we also, you know, there's, there's, it's a cumulative effect where, you know, obviously um, less hits are better than more hits, you know. So moving up the, um, you know, when you start to hit, is I don't think is a bad idea, you know, just... You know, now maybe there needs to be a really big emphasis that year on teaching it, you know. Um, and again, like I said, going to vision training could really, really help, I believe. So you mentioned you anticipate not expecting any changes to the game, but one of the things that the game still allows, which is so specific to hockey and I think contributes to the hockey culture we were talking about, is fighting. How these blows to the head are allowed and accepted, the refs move out of the way and they, they let you guys just throw blows. And what do you think about the impact of that and how it could you know, maybe not have a place in hockey moving forward? Yeah, I mean, getting hit with a bare knuckle sucks. You know, it um, does a lot of damage to the temple area, jaw. Um, you know, it's been a part of hockey forever, and, and same with body contact. So, um, you know, is it smart? I mean, to have it, to engage in it, you know, probably not. And, um, you know, I've said this before, and I've had opinions about it, and, you know, I go both ways. You know, obviously a part of me... Um, you know, I did it for so long, and so a little bit of it is ingrained in me and in my personality, too, with whatever I do. I just do it 100% and um, aggressively. And so um, do I think, you know, guys should be hitting with a bare knuckle? I don't know. But do I think they're going to change, you know, the rules? I don't – probably not. You know, and, and again, I didn't start this to really change hockey, to be honest with you. I'm just kind of using the platform – because they're the last sport um, that is yet to admit a link, you know, between repetitive head trauma and, and CT. And, and so, 
they'd rather spend the millions of dollars to fight ex-players and to fight that narrative rather than making the game better and spinning it and using it as a as a PR scheme the way that you know the NFL is kind of trying to do. You know. So when you're so, watching, when you're watching yeah. a game, what causes you to cringe most now when you see something? Um, I rarely watch any games to be honest with you. Uh, it's social media, like all my following Twitter, on um, they just they send me a whole bunch of stuff. Always tag me in different clips, and you know, there's usually two or three now. You know, it seems there's a lot more this time of year because things get chippier with the playoffs and games mean more. So, makes sense. But um, yeah, uh, not too many. Yeah, I mean, I catch a period here and there, maybe. But um, you know, I've, I have three young children, so it's uh, it's not uh, it's not exactly like I can sit down and watch a hockey game. <laughs> you know, so forget about uh, watching a hockey game. All right, knowing what you've gone through, knowing you know how much you've immersed yourself into, you know, the traumatic, you know, brain trauma injuries and the, the education you've gotten. When you hear Chris Pronger, a guy whose Hall of Fame career was cut short due to concussions, a guy who has served on the Department of Player Safety for three years say, today's players know better. Players know symptoms. They know what's going on with their body, with their heads. They know they're much more schooled and versed in the systems and different things that can be triggers to what concussions can do and go on. And then he goes on to say, fans want some aggression. I'm not saying you want to go run players and knock people out. I would just like to see them play with more vitriol and passion and anger towards one another. I think it's too jovial. They're too friendly. There's not enough hatred in the game where passion is coming through to play the best of your abilities, in my opinion. Maybe they don't. Maybe that's today's generation. How they play coming up through minor league, they don't play anymore. So when you hear that, you guys both played in the same era. You both suffered major injuries. How is it possible that Chris can say those things? And what goes through your head when you hear that? Um, I mean, it's his opinion, right? And like, listen, like I said, I go, you know, there's a part of me that that agrees with him, to be honest with you, you know. And but there's also, um a big part of me that I just wish that they had the proper understanding, you know, before they engage. So, you know, know, Tom Wilson's been quoted as saying, well, now, you know, I really think before I hit because, geez, I just lost, you know, six figures. Like, so that's great. You know, that's where you want to get to, like that type of point where guys are actually thinking about the consequences, you know. And, um, And that's, you know, that's his opinion. And listen, I learned how to play the game watching Chris Pronger, like, slash people on the PK in front of the net, you know. And, um, and you know, that's a, that's a big way that I played the game as well because that's the way it was taught. You know, that's just the way it was taught back then. It was take your opponent's will to play away, you know, and then as soon as they hesitate, you're going to win. And now it's taught a different way, which I think is great. And it's a great game. It's a, it's a really skilled game, fast and fun to watch with young kids and, um, you know, there's just certain steps that I think the league needs to take, and those steps um, inherently, you know, people in the real world, like in the veteran community, police officers, firefighters, first responders, um, you know, um, women of domestic violence, uh, divers, and P- bull riders in the PBR, like everybody um, wants to know this type of information it's not readily available you know everyone thinks you go to get an mri and a ct scan and you, and you just don't you don't see concussion on an mri or a ct scan you know so um again you know you're just trying to get to 
to as many people as you can through through your experience and and you know my experience happens to be through the NHL and uh yeah I would like to see just just give them the proper understanding and information and then diagnosis and care you know like get them to do functional baselines and and make the impact just one part of a five part functional baseline you know um and then if you want to sign on the dotted line sign on it you know then everybody should be good but when you withhold the information that you've had since you know 1980 well then then you know guys are gonna if guys learn that which i have then they're gonna have a problem with it you know it's interesting you you say that because over the course of doing this for so many years aj and i have had Different guys with different issues in different sports. We've had Conrad Dobler talk about the concussion problems in football. We've had Jose Canseco talk about the steroids and, and you know how the, the Major League Baseball turned the blind eye and they all knew about it. And those guys ended up being the outcasts, it, you know, bringing the problems of the sport to light. And then all of a sudden, you know, they were kind of outcast in their own sport. Since you've gone public, how has the NHL and the Blackhawks and some of your former teams treated you since you've gone public with these issues? Um, I mean, I'm not associated with with hockey per se, other than you know using them again as a platform in my advocacy work. And I talked to a few alumni associations about what the actual uh, settlement would mean if you take it. And um, but you know, I. To be honest, like right now, I just don't want to be, you know, because um, I could have kept quiet and kept signing autographs and had a pretty cush life, you know, um, but uh, I just don't want to be associated with it right now other than using it, again, as a platform to get to a TBI community that I think is, um, you know, needs this type of uh, information about recognizing signs and symptoms and moving into diagnosis and care and, um you know, maybe that'll change down the road, but, you know, there's also the vision training aspect of it, and I'm working with the University of Cincinnati, who's, um, they've cut their concussion rate by 80% over the last nine years, since 2010. Um, you know, the NCAA football average is, is 10 concussions a year, and theirs is two hmm. over the last nine seasons, and that's through vision training. So I'm working on something like that because that can not only be implemented um, into, you know, training uh, through off-ice. Um, but it could also be used in, you know, old-age homes for people with dementia and just to get them stimulated. And I use it on my kids <laughs> at home here, um, you know, and it, and it uh, helps with problem-solving and building new neurological pathways and uh, training your eye muscles. And we have six eye muscles, you know. So um, just keeping those sharp as an athlete is really, really important. So... Working on something like that, like, I mean, helmets, the new style helmet that, you know, oh, decreases force, and it just doesn't work. You know, it's, um, that's a big facade. There's nothing that can stop your brain from sloshing around in a rigid skull due to force, and it doesn't need to be to the head. You know, the force can come from, a, you know, a shoulder to the, to the chest or any part of the spine, and that force follows up the brain stem and, and contacts with the brain. So, um just, uh, you know, there's some exciting things going on. So, Where can people get involved with Chapter 5, make a donation, find out more about it? Uh, Chapter5foundation.com. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we're, um, we're going to be looking to do a few fundraisers here coming, uh, coming up in Brain Injury Awareness Month. And there's a few videos that I have that are coming out here soon. So 
Um, you know, you can follow on Twitter at uh, Carbonboom13 or Instagram at Daniel Carcillo13. And uh, just try to keep everybody aware and up to date. And March um, 20th is the is the deadline date um, that the NHL has to accept the percentage of enrollment of guys into the lawsuit. So we'll see what happens there, and then we'll go from there. So lastly, Dan, you played 429 games in the NHL, won two Stanley Cups. Game gave you so much. You love the game. If your son Austin comes to you and says he wants to be a hockey player, what do you tell him? Um, I mean, I'll make that decision for him. I mean, he actually, uh, we went skating on the pond here the other day, and he sent, uh, his cousin sent me a video saying that Austin always tells him that he wants to play. So, um, I don't know. You know, skating's one thing, playing is, is another, and um I, I don't know if I want to subject him to, to that, even the accidental stuff that happens, you know. And so um, I'll keep him safe and secure. Like, that's my job as a parent. And when he's old enough and, and he can assess the uh, the risk level and, and he still wants to play, then he can have at it. Dan, I want to thank you so much for your time. I, I know that this is not going to be the last time you and I speak. Hopefully we're working on something in the New York area for, for the foundation for sure. as well, and, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, thanks so much for your time, especially I know you were out at a family function and, and you broke away from that, so we really appreciate it. No worries. You got it. Dan Carcillo, two-time Stanley Cup champion, you know, Chapter 5 Foundation, go out, take a look at it. it it's important. You know?